This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by the Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to thebeanbastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to the Bean Bastard for supporting this show. The Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is the legendary Brian Fair of Shadows Fall of Overcast. Uh, I, I really feel like Brian needs no introduction. If you listen to this show, if you are the demographic that I know listens to this, then you know who the fuck Brian Fair is. Um, this has actually been a long time coming. Uh, Brian and I have been corresponding uh, through various different social medias, uh, mainly Twitter mainly Instagram, uh, and a long time ago I had asked him uh, if he wanted to come on the show, and he agreed, and then just life happened to both of us, and it didn't end up panning out, but as, as luck would have it, uh, a couple years later, uh, Shadows Fall gets together for a reunion show down at the, the Worcester Palladium, uh, and they have a beer coming out to celebrate it as well, and that came through my inbox, and I was like, hey, I feel like this uh, Brian and I should have a conversation finally. And it happened, and it was uh, it was very enjoyable. And it's one of those. It's it's kind of another reminder that uh, sometimes in life you need to not be so disappointed when things don't come out the way that you think that you would hope they would. Um, and that sometimes this is a great reminder that things are that things will happen when they're supposed to happen. And and I think more oftentimes than not, I'm reminded of that when something like this happens where I, I'm not going to say I would have had a terrible conversation with Brian back then, but I don't think we would have had the conversation we ended up having to, you know, when we did this a few, a few weeks ago. Um, you know, especially some of the more serious topics that we kind of get into uh, in it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. It, it just, it feels like, you know, everything has been so, uh, I don't want to say doom and gloom, but just really serious over here on the show. And there's, there's moments of that on this episode as well, but I do want to take a minute or two to really thank some of you for reaching out. Um, it's been weird, you know, like I, I say this into the void of, of whoever happens to listen to this, but literally no one, I'm staring at computer screens, I'm staring at my wall in my house. 
And, you know, I, I put these messages of sorts uh, out into the void. And by and large, a lot of it just goes, you know, rather unnoticed. And, and, you know, I don't get a lot of feedback. But I do see that obviously people are listening. Um, and it became one of those things where, you know, I put out a poll, like, who would you like me to see? Uh, who would you like me to talk to this year? And who would you like me to see have on the show? And it was kind of interesting, you know, like some someone finally reached out and, you know, they had made a comment about, you know, I really love your show. And, you know, I listen to this show, this show, this show, this show. I really think you should get this person on. And I was like, that. I doubt that person will come on. Uh, we're just not at the level of the shows that you mentioned. And, you know, and, and it was kind of interesting to, to hear someone say, you know, like they hold this show in the same regard as, you know, shows I actively listen to it and kind of use as a barometer of like, I would like to get here. Um, and to kind of be listed amongst the contemporaries um, is kind of humbling and it's it's crazy uh, to, to, to know that there are some people that feel that this show is in, in that regard already. Um, but it was kind of interesting to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit uh, on, on how, you know, we get guests and so forth. And uh, sometimes the stature of a guest uh, is a little bit unattainable just based on how busy that person will be during their press cycle and so forth. And it just is what it is. But, you know, beyond that, the one thing, you know, someone had asked and, and I, I feel like it's so commonly known is just, you know, they were like, well, what, what, you know, what can we do? What can I do to help, you know, get the show growing or whatever? And really, it just is, is a matter of showing people and sharing it and kind of, you know, maybe not like the person doesn't have to download every episode and listen every week, but just, you know, show them a show and maybe like the one that they may like with someone that I've had on from a band that they love. And, and that's all it takes. It just, it just takes natural organic growth like that. And the show is, is growing. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like I said, a couple of weeks ago, starting back over, um, on a new platform, having all the firsts again, you know, this is the first technically new year of the show. Um, so it's funny that, you know, we'll have a whole bunch of new firsts again on this new platform. Um, so it's just one of those, you know, it seems very obvious to me, but maybe it's not known. Like, I mean, if you like this show, leave a ratings, uh, subscribe, review it, uh, wherever you can share it with friends. That is honestly the biggest way that this show grows. So if you like what we do, uh, it's great. And I also want to thank everyone on Twitter, you know, that mentions someone that should come on the show. Um, I love it. I love kind of expanding beyond what we, what we do. And, you know, it is one of those things too, where, uh, I definitely have like an episode in the tank, uh, that's already done. That's a, a wildly different uh, than anything we've had on the show before, and I have some some feelers out there to kind of bring in some other uh, other kind of guests from other worlds that I'm into uh, that I want to start kind of showcasing on the show. So this is a this is kind of interesting because like I was kind of like oh I'm rambling and there's not anything that this has to do with the episode, but I kind of realized actually it does. Because I think, like the show was when I approached Brian initially, the show is more than that. And the show can be more than that because it can be kind of anything I want it to be. Um, and I feel like Brian is a, is a great representation of that as, you know, being in two pioneering bands between Overcast, which kind of, you know, were the godfathers of what would become Metalcore, and, you know, Shadows Fall, which were one of the bigger bands in that that scene and so forth. Um, but to know that he's so much more than just that, I mean, like the dude... You know, in, in an era where you kind of were either a sports fan, a music fan, or this fan, or that fan, like you were compartmentalized, Brian is just an amalgamation of anything he likes, and I fucking love that about him. Um, you know, being a diehard Boston fan, as well as, uh, you know, being into fish uh, <laughs> an awful lot, more than I think I could ever be. 
Uh, but it is one of those where I just love the the man is unapologetically himself and, and is unafraid to take risks uh, professionally in his personal life and so forth. So I think that's kind of how that, that all ties together is just not being afraid to, to explore what makes you happy and kind of learn to grow within all of that. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Brian Fair, and I'll talk to you all on the other side of it. Well, I mean, it's. I feel like you know. I was just listening to to Doc, uh, his podcast, where he's talking to DL, and they were talking. You know, Doc was making the comment that he goes, "I feel like it takes about a year of a tour where a band really kind of is locked in." And then I was like thinking to myself, I was like, "What band ever, really, unless like you're just road dogging it, like outside of like Eated, which who knows now, but like it's like outside of a band like that that just is on the road probably nine, ten months out of the year." I can't think of a single fucking band that you could apply that once you're on the road for a year thing. Cause no one's ever on the road that long anymore. Yeah, well, if you are, you're ready to crawl home in like a just pile <laughs> of you know, mush at that point. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. that would usually be what breaks your band up. Although, <laughs> although you know, Doc, Doc's torn all cushy now, you know, in the big rock and roll world, you know, he's not back in the God forbid band. So maybe it's easier for him now, you know? You know, I'm going to I'm going to say this and I might cut it out just because I don't know if people who listen might take offense to it. I do sometimes love the fact that when he has because, you know, the thing I like about his show is, you know, he has a lot of people on from kind of like my era of growing up and listening to bands and so forth, the early days of, of the scene. But. There's been times when you listen to it and it's almost like that. Uh, hey, man, if you ever want to throw us on a bill and throw us a bone and I'm like, yeah, it ain't like that, man. Like, I don't think he can. It's like that. It's like that Drake line of, uh, you know, the you know, I can't read. I can't help you. They think that I can save you now. And it's like, I, I can't save you no more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's funny, man. But it's uh, it's one of those that uh, you know, I know you and I have talked about trying to do this for a while, and I just I know you are busy as fuck with uh, living life and working and uh, seemingly you know watching every every fish boot like you can get your hands on. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, it's that takes up way too much time. Well, I mean, on average, how? So I mean, this is kind of interesting because I, I do. I know you don't comment much on it on at least on Twitter anyway, when, when you're posting all these things, you know, like you'll, you'll tear apart a, a specific section of a, you know, a solo piece or whatever. And be like this, this part to this part is just absolute perfection. You know, there's, there's no other set I've seen of this song where it, like it, it just hits this hard and this, this part. Are you that meticulous with like any other band to where you can like, just know the ins and outs of everything to where you even in a live setting have like, the minutia of it, you're just like, wow. Or is fish it for you? Yeah. Probably not to that level for sure. Yeah. Not to that level, but I used to be way more like listening to things and just completely deconstructing it and overanalyzing it in my head uh, growing up. But like the only band that I probably do that with now is fish, maybe the dead on a little, a grateful dead on a smaller scale. Although I probably listen to more dead, honestly, cause it's always in the background, but uh, yeah, it's funny. Well, also metal, once you kind of, 
figure the bones out too. You're like, all right, I understand how this all works, especially being in metal bands for years. Those dynamics I understand, uh, you know, through and through from the studio to the stage and everything in between. Whereas a band that can improvise and just create on the fly like that, it's just, you know, it's so mind blowing to me uh, that when those moments jump out, they just totally stick out and resonate and, you know, Fish is also all about stat chunky shit that you don't need to even get into, but you just find yourself doing anyway. You're like, why am I such a nerd? You're like, ah, that's just the way it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I, it's funny because I feel like music and sports are so synonymous like that where, you know, you you if you have a team or if you just love, you know, a sport, like, you know, if you just love basketball, it's weird how you kind of get lost in the weeds of it where you're like, you know, especially when it comes to like new seasons, trades and shit like that. And you're like, all right, man, this dude was like a bench player. But when he'd come on, man, he'd have like in his 10 minutes, he'd give you like nine and nine. He'd almost give you a double double. Maybe he's what we need. like. And you kind of get lost in all of that. And I feel like music and sports just lend themselves to getting lost in, in the minute details that uh, some people just don't give a shit about. That's the way I do fandom. Like, I do that with sports. I do that with music. I've done that really since the beginning. Like, I would get into stuff, and I would start, like, deep diving. And like you said, yeah, knowing these bench players, but or like, you know, like, oh, we, we drafted a, a long snapper in the seventh round. Awesome. We really needed to sure up the special teams. You know, and people were like, wait, wait, what? You know? <laughs> um, but for me, that's the fun side of it. And also, I like the discussion around it. So when you meet other, you know, super fans or fiends of a certain thing, you can get lost in that stuff. But also you can relate right out of the gates to stuff, you know, to someone when you're like, realize like, oh, okay, you like it on this level too. Like, here we go. You know, <laughs> but that's the way I so like, you know, some people just enjoy the kind of immediacy of, you know, listening to something or watching a game and that's all they really want out of it. I'm like, nah, man, I got to dive like 10 layers too deep. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing too. Like, cause you know, like my Braves this year won the world series and it was crazy because, you know, the whole the whole narrative kind of actually reminded me of and I might have my year wrong. Uh, so you might actually be able to help me with this because I think you're a fan of this team. But I think it was the oh seven Red Sox that beat the Yankees like came those come from behind wins to beat the Yankees to get into the World Series. Uh, yeah, that, was, that was the thing that was the oh, yeah, the oh four was the comeback oh, three. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, because the year before they got knocked out on that Brett fucking Boone home run uh, <laughs> to knock him out the year before in, in three, and then it, yeah, two thousand four okay. is when Poppy hit the home run to, to win that game, and they went on the sh on the run. Okay, so, yeah. I I almost said oh four, but yeah, I was but like, they, I... They, yeah, they did win in oh seven, but that was uh, you know they've had that weird like once they they got the monkey off their back, they went on to win those couple more random ones through the years. So it's crazy. Yeah. But it was one of those things like, you know, it, it reminded me of the 04 championship for me with the Braves because like, you know, they I didn't think they were going to be competitive if they kept the team, didn't get rid of the good pieces they had for, you know, whatever. And I didn't think they're going to be competitive until like starting this season. So like, you know, the fact we've made the playoffs, we had a deep run last year, being a game away from the World Series, lost to the fucking Dodgers. And then let's like. As soon as we lost to Cunha, I was like, season's probably going to be over because how the fuck do you match? Like, dude was on MVP races. Oh, and then huge. the fact that they made the moves they did and kind of slugged into the playoffs. And, you know, everyone was just like, they're not going to do anything. Da -da 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 -da. And it was just like, but they were the team that wanted it. They were, and, there were, and you want to talk about getting into the weeds. It was one of those to me where 
you know, one stat that I kept talking about, I was like, every team that's in the playoffs is, ha- can put up numbers in a fucking hurry. The thing is, though, out of all the teams, the Braves were the only one throughout the whole season that had been in a lot of close one run, need to get that one run, holding on to a one run lead. They were one of the only teams that had that consistency throughout the year. And I'll be damned if when it came down to that, that isn't what, you know, set them apart from the other teams. And it's one of those where yeah. I said that going into the playoffs and everyone's like, I, I don't know. And I'm like, fucking told you because you you pay attention to the weird shit the weird numbers and get lost in it i'd say baseball more than any other sport if you're rolling in playing meaningful games where you're scrapping the whole time i'm thinking how many wild card teams have won the world series through the last you know like however long because you come in hot and baseball more than any other if you got hot pitching and you guys are learning how to win games at the right time you can roll that right through the playoffs you know so yeah, I you know I, I was surprised honestly that they won. If you like, would have asked me at the beginning of the of the of the playoffs, but like watching them, what was happening, you're like, oh man, I don't know. This is, this is, it's the other thing is just like the way Red Sox fans were conditioned forever. Braves fans have been fairly conditioned for disappointment after a while. Where you're like, oh man, you can't do this to us again, you know. And but then all of a sudden, when it starts to happen, you're like, this could really happen, but I don't want to even mentally accept that possibility until it's really there. So I feel you on that. Well, I mean, it's like being a fan of, I'm more of, when it comes to football, I'm just more of a fan of sports in general, just because I like football, the NFL anyway. But it's one of those where it's easy to follow the Lions, sadly. And it's one where like, we were just in Buffalo for the Eats at Christmas show and we stayed uh, on left Monday, but we went and hung out uh, at a bar and watched the Bills game and everyone's like, oh, you just, like, if you're not from here, you don't understand. And we're like, hi, we're from Michigan. You ever heard of the Tigers or the Lions? And they're like, yeah, okay. And we're like, and they will let you think that you have a second. Like, if yeah, there's yeah. seconds, you think that maybe they can pull it out. I go, at least, like, the Bills, like, have done something. They've won games. They don't give you that false hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, though, when the Bills get there, they just go wide right. Oh! Yeah, that's true, too. But, um, you know, actually, something kind of interesting, too. You know, with you being so into sports and kind of, you know, you're talking about, you know, just you know, with the baseball, with, you know, when teams get hot and when, you know, they kind of roll in that things just kind of, you can't count them out with kind of that mentality that you've seen in sports. Did you ever really kind of parlay that into your touring at all? Like where you're like, man, like, you know, we're kind of on a roll. We got some good tours da, 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 da. and it, maybe you didn't feel like the underdogs that shadows fall kind of felt like they were at times. Uh, yeah, you definitely feel the momentum, but I think more than anything, I realize that you have to approach it almost like sports where these guys are staying at their peak position, you know, like conditioning wise, because someone is behind you, you know, mm. trying to take your spot and the music industry can be similar to that where the young guns are coming to get your spot, you know, and you got to physically, especially with metal, physicality is a huge part of the, not only writing process, recording process, but the, the live show 100%. So, yeah, I would kind of take some of that sports mentality to it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the difference is is uh, there, there's more spots for everyone. If, every, if fans are good enough, they'll get there. Whereas, you know, fighting over, you know, one or two roster spots on a, on a team is probably such an insane amount of pressure. I can't even imagine where you're the 1% of the 1%. Although, even with bands, you always talk to people like the advice-wise, you're like, you know, what would you do? You're like, well, have a backup plan because it's like, man, it's, you know, it's really hard to make a, you know, make it all the way there. So, um, but yeah, man, it gives you that. It, it, I definitely could see that. Like when you know you're hitting it hot and the momentum's there, you don't want to lose that because it is really hard to get that stuff back. 
and setbacks, whether it's, you know, say you get into some label dispute and the album gets held a year and blah, 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 all that shit, it can derail something so insane the same way like an injury could or, uh, you know, any stuff like that. So, yeah, you definitely try and you want to keep hitting it while it's hot. It's kind of weird because I feel like you are in such a unique position personally, you know, having been an overcast and it's, it's not often that bands or someone in a band kind of gets this this double shot in nostalgia, I'll call it, where it's like you have people who came up with Overcast and love Overcast, and you're one of those bands that when those reunions happen, people are like, oh, man, the glory days of, of when I was going to shows and I was a kid. But then you kind of now are in the same boat with Shadows Fall, so you kind of get it doubly. Is it? Do you have more of an understanding of what you're going through with Shadows Fall with these reunion shows because of what you've gone through with Overcast, or is it totally different? Yeah, it's you know it definitely gives you a blueprint, and it's funny how they almost even worked out uh, time-wise where Overcast hadn't played in like five or six years, and we finally were like, you know what, it's time to do it. You know, like uh, and Shadows Fall has been the same kind of way, and I think it is a lot of it is knowing when the time is right and when you're doing it because everyone's like stoked to do it. You know, like everyone in the band is like, I'm excited for this to happen as opposed to like, yeah, you know, we should do it. It's like, no, we were at the point where like, ah, now we're just doing it to do it. We want to do it. You know, like it wasn't like we got some huge festival offer where you just couldn't say no. And you figure out a way to be like, all right, guys, we gotta, we gotta do this. We, we started the ball rolling from day one and we're like, we just want to play a sick show. And we wanted to build that made sense, uh, you know, so that's why we have Unearth and Darkest Hour and Sworn Enemy. And then some bands that are from the area that are a little newer, you know, with, with, within the ruins and Carnivora. And it made so much sense. We're like, we're also not thinking of the future. We're thinking of like big, you know, laying it all out on this one. We're like, we're bringing in the light rig. We're bringing in our, uh, our, our awesome old crew guys who are, you know, so good at what they do. We're like, let's do it right. Let's do it all. Let's rehearse like crazy. And it made sense because the same thing with Overcast. We didn't want to come back and do it and be like, you know, <laughs> it had to be like, especially that this music's so like intense and visceral and, you know, demands so much of you that if you phone it in, it's the most obvious thing in the world. And it's not fun either. You know, it, <laughs> if you're not feeling it, it's tough to fake it. So uh, everyone was on the same page with this one, the same way we were with Overcast. So like it felt, you know, I was like, all right, this feels right. It felt like it did then. Let's do it that can maybe then lead to things down the road, but we're like, let's just figure this stuff out. Let's do it the best we can and then decide. And I'll tell you, man, like we were not known for rehearsing in Shadows Fall back in the day. So like we've been practicing like crazy. I've never been this prepared for anything like show wise in my life. And when we were the first rehearsal as a full band was just like, Oh shit, we should have practiced all the time. We are really good when we practice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know, I think that's, you know, using another basketball analogy, you know, practice. We talk about practice. Um, you know, I, I well, that's yeah. what we would be then. We're like, man, we played this song a thousand times. We know Destroyer is senses. Why do we got to play it again? <laughs> you know? uh, but, but now we learn like, oh, because then we, we wouldn't have changed it through the years. So we were playing it wrong. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, you know, another interesting point, of, you know, talking about practice and, and kind of coming back to the band, you know, having it not be a central part of your life, the way it would have been if you were just constantly touring, you know, I was listening to an interview uh, with Keith from me Cause like now he's sober and he, you know, he's been talking about this rediscovery of his own lyrics, you know, like 
who was he when who was the person that was writing him? He knows it's him, but he's kind of got to find his way through these lyrics again and, and kind of find new meaning in them. As you're kind of going through your discography at this point, through practice and gearing up for these reunion shows, are you kind of going through something similar where maybe you're you're finding new meaning in some of your lyrics? One thousand percent. I was actually just kind of talking about this with someone. It's not even finding some uh, realizing what mm. to me was the more the the, uh, the the term I'd use because I hear a one hundred percent chronological biographical like stream of who I was, what I was into, where my head was at, where the, what the ideas I was like going, you know, like sorting through. And I never realized it. A lot of times you'd be like, I don't know, there are lyrics that just sounded metal and made sense at the time. And I might have known where I was trying to go, but just it was more about like, you know, just kind of stream of consciousness happening. And now listening back, I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, I know exactly what this, you know, like where I was at through this. I know now what I didn't know I was thinking about. Like the subconscious is totally on the sleep. And then I also get nervous because I'm like, Oh damn! I was like, I bet you other people realized this more than I did at the time. Like, Are you okay, bro? Like, like you, you need to, you need a hug. You need to talk about some things. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I probably did. You know, <laughs> but thankfully, I also had a metal band to get a lot of that stuff out. So, um, but yeah, it was a complete sense of discovery, uh, and it was almost like eerie how chronologically I could see like who I was through it, uh, all the way right up to the end. It, it, and it was very. Uh, it was sort of like cathartic to sort of go through that and be like, Oh, cool, man. Like that, it it gave it way more uh, meaning to me as a, as a big picture. Like, cause I'm super proud of all the records for different songs for different reasons. But like now I'm like, I can kind of look at it as a, as a one sort of body of work and be like, all right, man, that's cool that I can now like kind of see that uh, laid out in front of me in a way I never knew was happening. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a, a thought I've kind of been talking about a little bit on the show over the last, I'd say, month or so is this duality kind of that you as the artist live in versus what we see as the fans, because typically we're always as fans two years behind you. So the things you're going through after you're releasing a record is what is informing what will become the next thing. So we're always playing catch up. So whereas you're kind of like, yeah, I've already talked about that. I've already expelled it. Like I'm good. I'm ready to start moving forward and getting new life experiences. You're now stuck perpetually looking behind while still kind of being forward. It, it's a very weird phase. And, and like I said, duality that you as musicians and artists are kind of stuck in because of how um, the in metal and rock, how it's not like rap and pop where it's just, you can put something out and the song may be a month old and you're still kind of feeling it, you're like, hey, I already did that, and I'm ready to talk about the new shit we're working on, but you got to wait for the record cycle to go through and start all over. Well, if you also think about it, the writing process starts sometimes so much earlier than that, that by the time these songs are grounded through, you're like, oh, you know, you're almost over it sometimes, and you're like, and we're just beginning the album cycle. You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Like you said, it, it is funny that, like, not only the band, and, uh, it, it, but also, yeah, like you said, like this is where our heads were at and where things were at, like while we were doing this, and now we're sharing it with the people, you know, and they're kind of getting into it, even you know, almost backwards. But what is cool for me always is some of those songs take on a new life once you when you start playing them live, and it can almost be a double-edged sword too, because there are definitely times where you hear things like, "Oh man, I would have totally now after playing this for a while done this this way." or whatever, 
but that's what makes albums unique where they are legitimately a snapshot of where you were exactly at that time because you know down to the performances you can hear it you know like uh where what was you know and you can't replicate that it, it, no matter how but it is funny you're always going to have those things of like oh well man now i got this little cool thing i do live that i would love to like add in nothing ever seems finished in your head but you're like that's why it's kind of good uh to just be like nope we are we're you know that that's what it was and sometimes you have to actually stop the recording process so you don't keep tinkering you know, or adding or, you know, like, you know, just getting caught up in your head, overthinking it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, but it is weird to, like, listen back. Because even this, uh, this show, we, I rehearsed to the record for, you know, months before the band got together because I was in St. Louis and they're in Massachusetts. And I hadn't heard the album versions that in that in sort of scrutiny in a long time. And it was funny. I'd be waiting for this little thing that Jay would do live that wasn't there. You know? <laughs> but then also, also, though, I realized I was like, man, we started throwing the kitchen sink at some of these songs 10 years down the road where I'm like, they're kind of, some of them were better, like just down to the bare bones, too. I'm like, all right. And when we rehearsed them, we were like, there's always going to be a new fill here or there and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there were a lot more like, wow, okay, you know, we practiced for the record and it's sounding like the record, the tempos are there. So. Because, yeah, man, by the end, 10 years later, you're playing an old song and you're doing it at Mach 10 with all these crazy extra stuff, you know? Well, I think, like, you know, that's one of the interesting things I think that, that rock and metal kind of has going for it is because it's it's a scene in a genre that, you know, promotes more being on the road and being live. You know, I feel like it gives the bands time to play these songs out in, in rough demo form and just kind of be like, like you might be like, Oh shit, that part popped off a hell of a lot more than we thought it did. Let's kind of do something that maybe builds up to it. And it kind of allows you to kind of do some songwriting on the fly. You know, as we were kind of talking earlier, you know, fish, it, it's not quite the same, but it allows you to kind of go, Oh, that part hits a little bit differently than I thought it was. Let's kind of work that and build it up a little bit more. So it it's even more, and I don't feel like you see that quite as much in pop or rap because it's kind of more about the final product as it exists. Exactly. That's the thing is I think hardcore bands and metal bands are given some of that freedom by their audience where they'd be stoked to hear a new tune. You know, granted, maybe not all, you know, you don't want to go there and just hear all the stuff you've never heard. Uh, but like, and the music translates to where if the circle pit part starts, you know, the circle pit, you don't, you didn't even need to hear it before. I would always joke about Hatebreed in the early days would play a song I knew no one in that building had ever heard, and they're killing each other and hitting every accent because you just, you know, you're like, well, here's the mosh part. And I'm, you know, like, and uh, it's fun because, yeah, it also gives the band an opportunity to, like, kind of work shed some of that stuff, but also have fun for themselves, you know, to be like, mm -hmm. hey, man, this is a new song we're super psyched about. You guys are cool enough to let us play it. Whereas if you tried to do that at, like, you know, a, a real big pop band, people just be looking like, I mean, just play the hits, man. Like, you know, <laughs> you know like, we're not trying I, to hear your other side of things here. I don't know the words to that, you know. like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's so weird. It, it was, you know, my wife kind of pointed out at one point, and it was a, such a turning point for me and how I mentally separate what shows I go to. Because, you know, I love going to hip hop shows. I love go like, funny enough, when we were at the tip of the season, Ice-T was on, he was like one of the second headliners on night two. And as people are kind like someone tried starting a mosh pit toward the end and I was like, not the right vibe at all, dude. Like you're kind of fucking the vibe up, yeah, this is but it was, count. yeah, this is a body count. Yeah. Don't, don't knock over my beer while I'm vibing out the IC man. You know? <laughs> so it was one of those though, where I kind of was looking around and I said to my wife, I was like, this is going to be interesting. Cause I don't, 
I, and I'm generalizing, but I was like, I don't feel like 90% of these people in this room have probably ever been to a hip hop show. And it'll be yeah. interesting to see how they yep. react to it. Cause like, it's a, to it's not a hardcore show vibe. It's, it's a totally different vibe. Yep. And well, you kind of got to have been in a hip hop show. It wasn't, it wasn't an OG like Ice T if they'd been going any hip hop, you know, it was like newer, new school style, which probably has mosh pits and people crowd surfing and stuff. Where you're like, no, nah, man, this is like, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, like newer, new school kind of hip hop can get a little like more like that. Whereas they're right. like, nah, man, he's just coming out here to drop some OG shit on you, man, you know? <laughs> but it, yeah, it was kind of funny because like this is the second time I've gotten to see Ice T do a rap set. The other one was when they did a, when he opened for NWA, uh, which was not. It was basically MC Ren, Cube, and DOC. And it was about 20 minutes of an NWA set and then became basically an Ice Cube greatest hits show. <laughs> Which was fine. I still had my. You're, you're talking about, yeah, exactly. But you're like, I wasn't here to find out it was a good day. I'm just trying to hear from the dope man. Like, come on, let's do the NWA. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny because, like, you know, I told my wife, I was like, it reminds me of like when we went and saw, you know, DMX and Slick Rick and Eric B and Rakim and you know some of these other, like you're saying, kind of the old OGs of the scene and stuff like that. And it's it's weird though because it's like it's when I like going to shows like that. That's why I like going to different shows and experiencing different things. But I feel like. You know, I was talking, I go, it's really cool that Eatsid has tried and some of the older bands try to do that where you have the mixed bills of what we kind of grew up going to see where it might be, here's a fucking ska band, here's a hip hop band, here's a whatever, and then a metalcore band or whatever. And it's like, it's cool to have that diversity because when you start being able to pick those influences out in other people's music, that's when it gets fun because you're like, oh, I see how this person brought this style in or whatever. And I just feel like there's not a lot of that anymore. Sadly, there really isn't, man. And it's funny because once the touring cycle became like a circuit and there was way more like infrastructure to like the metal and hardcore touring, bills got very like at least complimentary. You know, it wasn't as, as like, as, man, in the early days, you look at some of these flyers and it's just crazy. It's all over the place. And even the early festivals, those early Lollapaloozas had at least one straight hip hop group, at least mm -hmm. one almost like country alt rock kind of like vibe then there was always an industrial band you know like it always had a lot of flavor to it and i grew up completely that way like overcast second show was with the mighty mighty boss tones you know like we would play with anyone anywhere and then we also played with like the lords of the underground who were hip-hop and stuff like that we didn't care and but even within heavy music we would play with a very melodic -y kind of like hardcore band and then a death metal band and all that, that wasn't so strange then uh, but it definitely became that. A few kind of festivals in the early 2000s tried to start that, whether it was Sounds of the Underground or whatever. But we already noticed that the scene had gotten a little more, like, closed off to that sort of thinking audience-wise. It's always great. The bands, if it was up to every band and every booking agent and manager has to talk you off that ledge of, like, we want to bring in all these insane bands that sound nothing like us because that's what we want to watch every night. And they're like, yeah, that's great. That is not what we're doing. You know? <laughs> you know you're like, damn it. We tried yeah it's a it, it's wild to see that though and i feel like sometimes you know i feel like you know you were just talking about kind of the newer hip-hop scene like you know having been to some of the newer stuff too it's kind of weird because i feel like i do feel like the underground hip-hop scene is kind of what the underground hardcore scene used to be even kind of in feeling of when you're there that kind of sense of like shit just pops off and caught in a mosh for real like <laughs> It reminds me of, of, of it on almost like a venue and approach to the show way where it's these small kind of underground little venues 
it's very DIY in its own way. And yeah, like you said, the, the, a lot of now the point is the interaction between, you know, audience and, and, and band in a way that was more like a hardcore show. And I think that's because, you know, that whole mentality of hardcore shows became more like visible through history. Whereas when you see that, you're like, that looks like the most fun shit ever. Like, you know, the first time when you're young and you see real footage of a hardcore show that you didn't know that kind of thing existed, you're like, that, that looks like the most fun way to see music possible. And I think it starts to translate into kind of those other genres, you know, because it is always funny to see like, yeah, dude, straight stage diving and crowd surfing at hip hop shows, you know, which is great. But like, yeah, it, I, what looks like more fun than like a show at CBGB's back in the day where you can't even see the stage or the equipment or anything. And it's just people flying in every direction, you know? So. Yeah. It, sometimes like I have a, a weird and it's probably just because I'm old and I've been to a lot of shows. And, and sometimes now I'm just like, you know, there are certain bands that will not get me out of mosh retirement because I don't think I've ever, quote unquote, retired moshing. But it's one of those where a lot of times I'm more fascinated by the behind the scenes things like, you know, having put on shows myself. It's one of the best things I've ever done because it taught me so much about the industry and, and about a different side of the the music business. But it also fucking ruined going to shows for me because now I think about numbers. I think about all these other things that don't fucking matter. But 100%. I do <laughs> I do love watching shows kind of more from like a side stage so I can take everything in. So I can literally see what bands are seeing. I can like if something's popping off or something's happening like at the Eatsid show, something was happening during the Bronx's set. And I noticed that like a couple people started pointing and I'm like, oh, what's going on? And then like I start noticing everyone take notice. Matt kind of is pointing it out and kind of getting the crowd all riled up. But it's one of those where you feel that that energy that the band gets and then see it get expelled back to the crowd and just see this human alchemy, for lack of a better term, of just what makes live music so magical. And it's, it's kind of selfish because it's like, yeah, it's cool being on the floor and just experiencing it from the one way. But now I, I've been on the other side, so I kind of want a little bit of both as much as I can. I want to experience both sides because it's just so cool and interesting to see it from that perspective. Yo, totally, man. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I really do enjoy either. My two spots are either like side stage if the sound is going to be decent enough or, or front of house where I'm in the sweet spot. You know, yeah. Like, that's where I like to be these days. Occasionally you'll get me like, I, I always tell myself, like, uh, you know, I'm just going to hang back here, and then I'll go see, like, the Cro-Mags, and they do, like, a Bad Brains cover, and I'm like, you know, like, oh, the next thing I know, I'm already singing along before I, before my, I can't tell myself, don't blow out your knee, I'm already, like, on top of someone's head, you know, uh, but it does get rarer and rarer these days, you know, it does, it does get rarer and rarer these days, um, but yeah, I mean, it is funny, like you said, about, it's so hard not to analyze some of the mechanical stuff when you've been on the other side of the curtain, because you just, it's just instinct at that point. You know, you just start seeing it in that way. It's like the matrix comes in and you see all the numbers behind everything. And you're like, ah, I just was hoping to just kind of relax. And you're like, nope, I'm thinking about how all this is going down, you know, like, and what's working, what isn't working, you know, like why this guy's flipping out. I know, you know, like, it's just, it's hilarious. But I mean like that, and then that was kind of the funny thing too, is like, you know, I, I had this weird moment of like, you know, in the last year, like I've gone to therapy and one of the things that I, I was struggling with was more of thinking about things too much, like thinking about things that haven't even fucking happened and not being present. So that's something that I've really been working on in the last year. And so going to this, this like two day Eatsid festival thing, we were basically side stage, but like 
behind all the equipment, but I still got to watch like the dude doing sound and like the bands basically and watching the bands interact with everybody and still the crowd and all that. But it was one of those that uh, the guy, uh, Sonny from Hate Five Six, that records all these awesome shows that you probably have seen, you know, videos of on clips from. But it was weird that, you know, I had this moment of like, I, I didn't take any photos or videos really the whole weekend and I was very present. But I had this weird thought about how, you know, he's basically on stage capturing the live moment and trying to be present of what he's literally in front of and witnessing, but also kind of being cognizant of when shit's cool that's happening and it's going to be cool to watch back later that he has to be aware of that, but not put himself in it. So it's this weird mix of like, I'm present, but I'm not, but I'm present for somebody else, but sort of myself. And, you know, I made a comment. I was like, I didn't realize that it was, I know it's a small crew, but like literally the whole two day weekend, he only had time between the changeovers to change his batteries, whatever he needed to do, and hopefully grab food or water because he's in it the whole fucking time, just like the band. And he also doesn't have that time when the set's over to decompress and go on. It's like, all right, wash it away and let's get ready for the next one. And I'm like, how tough that must be mentally. Like, you're just probably so fucking wiped. I couldn't imagine. Without a doubt, that guy, what Sonny does for, for archiving stuff and capturing those moments. The one thing that I think, though, for him being in that and enjoying the moment, but also thinking of the of where the moment could fit, I think that's him being in his moment. You know, like, mm. like, like I, that's probably how he sees the world at this point, whether he wants to or not. So, But do, like you said, the stamina part of it is insane. Because he, he doesn't just film. He's like feeling the show in a way that makes him like move the camera in the right way and get run over here and do that. So it's the physical sort of, uh, you know, experience for him as well. I can't imagine I would be shot. And those are long days. And then he usually <laughs> flies to another festival across the country. Dude's an animal. So yeah, it's, I first uh, met him when he did an overcast show for us. And, and I was just like, dude, just blown away by the way the footage came out. And then just watching what he's grown is incredible. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's definitely one of those where at first, like I didn't quite get it. Cause it was always, I saw that this is hardcore sets and I was like, it's cool. You know, like it, it looks cool. Like it's rowdy as fuck, just like I expect. But the thing, as I started watching more of it, where it's like, here's this band, I went to Japan and then I like show you some of the Japanese music culture. Uh, I went and did this tour so I can kind of see the evolution of this band. Cause I filmed them so much over the last, you know, three, four five years that it's it's very much becoming like you said it, it's documenting this style this scene this genre that is still relatively new and to kind of have him incorporate and document so much of it is so rad i almost would love to see him go on a full-on tour and come up with a documentary of some sort like i would like to see that evolution personally totally well and he would get uh, such a full round you know picture of a band if he ever did that because he's been able to do that by piecing together you know either archival stuff or doing like you know kind of the evolution stuff but i think for him that historical importance is what inspires that stamina you know is knowing like if we don't get this it's gone you know yeah there'll be some camera phone bullshit out there but like <laughs> you know like this is the way to like get it done and, and save it because i think back on some of the hardcore shows i saw and you'd always see at least one like big bulky handy cam somewhere in the back but like either that archive did get saved but it was you know you know but a lot of it just disappeared where someone's dad probably taped over the oj chase or something you know like i got it or whatever you know like years later i know that happened to a lot of my overcast stuff uh it, it's it's hilarious uh but yeah man 
I, I was uh, I, I just seeing what he's been able to capture, and 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 it, but like you said, that would be cool to see. Just do a full tour because you don't really like what you see on a tour. It, like it, it's such a unique kind of full like a full tour will show you the insides and outsides of everything. You know? <laughs> I think the last person. Yeah, I was gonna say I think one of the 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 two best people I think that kind of did it of I'll save my era uh, as a fan, but like uh, of your era was Doug Spangenberg at a uh, well I, he had what high Mo- or monkey high monkey or high roller that was it high roller and then before that was space monkey I think um, that you know basically he did it with eats it but did it more in a comedic kind of way where it was kind of like here's let's make fun of kind of the, the stupidness of being on tour, uh, the inside jokes and so forth. But it really was him working with, you know, Lamb of God that really kind of showcased, I think the shittiness of it. And then even Todd Bell with what he was doing with Chimera at the time where, you know, I think the Lamb of God and Chimera, the dehumanizing process DVDs are some of the most raw, honest accounts of what being in a band is like, even down to recording where it's like, you know, uh, in the Chimera one, I remember Rob uh, Andals was doing some fill, and he goes, "No, I fucking put I put this riff over that, so you fucking play that." And he's like getting on him about it. I'm like, "God damn, it's just a fuck! Like it's just a symbol choke! Like who gives a shit?" But like to see those awkward moments and those fights and shit really makes you realize, like, man, it looks glamorous to be out here, and I'm sure it fucking is when it's when it's good. But when it gets bad, it's it's really fucking bad, and it can be. And it's like it it was those DVDs that kind of really made me realize, like, man, I guess I really need to appreciate these bands that stick it out and go go play some of these shit tours or shit venues when no one's showing up and they're still giving their all. Yeah, it's it, it really they, those two that you, in particular were definitely like that inside down the rabbit hole kind of you know like approach to it, and it, it is good for people to kind of see it because man. Touring can be a ton of fun, and there are some of the high, the highest moments of fun can happen there. But most of it is this just grind through drudgery that just end with usually 10-plus people on a bus whose personalities couldn't be more divergent and, and basically, you know, can you, you love them all like brothers, but how, who do you fight hardest with? Your brother, you know? Like, like, so, so, yeah, yeah. It's funny to see like some of that shit, but there's also sometimes footage opens your eyes where you're like, ah, maybe I was a little more insane than I thought, and that's why everyone was giving me such shit. Because when you see it, the footage, footy don't lie, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like you're like, oh, there it is. Maybe I, yeah, maybe I don't need to drink 15 beers and tell everyone exactly what's wrong with them, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's one of those. I, I feel like the hard part becomes. You know, and and that was kind of in the era of, and again, going behind the curtain, as I learned a lot of these DVDs and stuff like that, that they would repackage with, you know, the deluxe version of an album was really because it was a cheap way to boost your album sales. Because if a DVD came in with that CD, well, now that's, that's two units versus one. So when, so it's one of, yeah, it's one of those where when you kind of start seeing and understanding the the business side of why some of these things came out uh, for down the road to, you know, give new life to a, an old album uh, that it's one of those where it kind of, you kind of see the writing on the wall that you guys were almost in essence, starting what would become the 24 hour cycle of social media, where it's like now you're letting people in and seeing a part of your life that no one had access to before. And then people kind of think they know who you are, expect certain things out of you or whatever. 
And I feel like that's got to be kind of weird to kind of remove the fourth wall a little bit and let people in. Yeah, we were definitely kind of there at the beginning of a lot of that stuff becoming, uh, you know, almost imperative to like existing as a band. And I, you know, I'll, I'll admit, I'm glad that we got to kind of come up pre that where there was like a little more uh, work put into fight discovering things, uh, but also you could keep a little bit of mystery. Uh, we were very relatable, so we, we felt like we could, you know, like we weren't trying to like create this like Led Zeppelin like imagery of like maybe they're wizards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't like our, our box or like Tool, where you're just like we're not going to put our picture on the first few records, you know, type of stuff. We weren't going that deep, but we liked having a little bit of of, of distance and mystery to it. But we also had person like we were hanging out at the merch table and the bar after our set. Like we weren't those guys who hit on the bus. We were out and about. So once we could then also communicate, that was super cool, you know, at the beginning. I do think, I don't know if I can handle being a full-time guy now, like where you literally, the content machine is insane, and you have to constantly keep churning stuff. Uh, we missed on when that became just, you know, a daily steamroller of content. Um, but, and I can see how that could be just more draining, Where or you're just like, by the end, you're just throwing out whatever you have, you know, type of thing. <laughs> but uh, I, I was glad that we were able to kind of start relationships like that. Cause I, I still have people that I now consider friends who I first met when I got the first, you know, through the first shadows fall Twitter account or whatever, who then you just kind of started following and be, you know, keep up on their daily stuff. And you may have seen these people twice total in your life, but they've been part of the shad family uh, for over a decade, you know, or plus, you know, so it, that, that, that part of it is amazing because metal and hardcore is very communal and, you know, it's very that way to begin with. Uh, so when you're not touring, some of those relationships that sustained were super cool to me. You know, like that's that's a cool part. And now they become more like watching my kids grow up on Instagram and staying part of that than it is even about the music side of things where you've crossed over to like that kind of relationship, uh, which is cool. So, but but I will say I'm glad when we were just like <laughs> out of control young dudes on tour that not every single thing somehow got live streamed on. You know, <laughs> they're like ah, you know. We don't get to look that stupid. Like at least you know there, there's enough concrete evidence of our of our just you know young and dumb era that I'm uh, I'm, I'm fine with that. But some of these kids now it's like, yep, yeah, you got to live with that haircut forever or whatever it is because it was plastered all over everything. You know, whatever. I mean, is. you don't have to worry about that. Yours hair, your hair has been the same for a very long time. Mine never changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. mine never changed. <laughs> yeah. That was just a fucking thing, you know. That's how you know, I'll go viral now. Is I just get stuck in my car door trying to leave the car. You, know? <laughs> you, you I'm surprised you. Well, actually, maybe you haven't. I just never heard it. Did you ever get the uh, same accusations as uh, uh, the dude from Counting Crows for having fake dreads? Uh, yeah, occasionally, but mine just looks so haphazard and just. <laughs> if you did fake it, you wouldn't do it this way. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like yeah, like you know, when you go that route of just like I just you know let let time and nature take over your hair and just wash it and let it do its thing. Then it's, it's not, you know, his were very pristine. So, you know, I, there are times in the summer though, in St. Louis where I wish it was a wig because I would take that shit off as soon as the humidity hit a certain level. But instead I got a wool blanket that goes down to my ankles <laughs> you know, on my back. So it's just, ugh. You know, you, you kind of, you touched on a couple of things or, a couple of ideas that I kind of wanted to explore a little bit more if you if you're game. You know, one of them was, you know, talking about, you know, your kids and kind of, you know, watching them grow up now. Is this kind of 
have your kids seen you perform before or are they at the age now where if they do get to catch this show, it'll be something where they actually will remember it probably from now until forever. Yeah, it's weird. They've seen one recently. They came and saw my other uh, kind of punk rockish band out of St. Louis, Hell Night, kind of play like a small club show right after things started opening up. And they had a blast. But as far as Shadows Fall stuff, they've seen, you know, some video stuff. But no, and that, which was another reason me and Paul were talking about this. We're like, our kids got to see us be cool at least once, you know, <laughs> at least once. And they are, my kids are five and eight. His son's nine. So they're, they're old enough where, you know, Judah, I don't know how much will stick around or how much of it will become a story memory. But, like, they at least can appreciate, you know, kind of what's happening. They're not just like, you know, like little babies strapped on, you know, like, like who were there, but, like, you know, aren't going to remember it. Uh, and they're fairly familiar with just the idea of metal. Like we have, we've had family circle pits, you know, for years. And, uh, uh you know, I caught my, oh, it was such a proud moment. I come around the corner and Pantera far beyond driven's on the record player. So the vinyl's on and my, my son is just on the couch, just air drumming like a fiend and like, you know, not for anyone else. You know, there's no audience for him to do this. And of course, you know, then my wife sneaks around the corner and gets a video, but it was like one of those proud Papa moments where I'm like, Ah, you know, like, I didn't have to force this on him, but that dude can feel a Vinnie Paul groove and knows it's time to, you know, do some air drumming. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one I'm of those. I'm sorry. That they get yeah, no, I'm just super psyched that they get to come and see it either from the side stage or from the, you know, the little uh, spot in front of house or whatever it is, wherever they want to be and see it in the, in, you know, real uh, in, in person as opposed to like on YouTube, you know those youtube videos like wow that looks like a big crowd but then after a little while they're just like hey that's cool you're cool dad whatever dad (laughs) put on put put on peppa pig or whatever it is you know uh so they'll actually get to see it and be i'm I'm trying to make it also like you know a fun kind of weekend vacation for them and you know just make make it a cool experience so uh i'm glad it all worked out you know it's it was tough you know luck with the COVID stuff, we just didn't know what was going to happen, what was going to be safe, what made sense, what could we, you know. And so, luckily, you know, we're just like, everything's as safe as it can be at this point. You're rolling the dices regardless. At least let's roll the dice to do, like, a family thing with the, all with the band and, and then, you know, make the most of it. And uh, hopefully uh, hopefully, it all just kind of comes off smooth. But stoked, stoked to have them there. It's just one of those things, like, you know, I myself, like, I, I don't have kids. Not something I want to... I don't want kids personally. Um, But it's one of those where sometimes, you know, seeing different friends, you know, get to play and their kids getting to kind of experience seeing their parent or parents uh, through a different prism than how you do. That at least has been something I find interesting as I've gotten older and now can kind of go, oh, when I turned 24, you know, like 13 years ago, it was like, man, my parents had me when they were 24. I'm nowhere fucking ready to have be responsible for another a, a life or whatever that you start looking at, at your parents as people who went through shit just like you are. And so I think that's kind of the interesting thing where your job is, you know, your career was something completely different and, and so unique, you know, like we were saying earlier, the 1% of the 1% that it, it kind of would be interesting to, to kind of see it from a child's eyes and, and kind of see how they look at you differently. Maybe going to this show will kind of give them the, the, the wonderment of like, Oh, I want to go do this. This looks like so much fun. And now it starts them kind of down on that path as well. Yeah. 
exactly. I, I have no idea how it'll affect him, but there's no way it, it can't. You know, like, like as, as far as that's just like a cool, that's just another experience to give them that, I mean, I was lucky enough to have so many of those crazy type of once-in-a-lifetime musical experiences. And, uh, but it does, like, the, what you said about perspective on your own parents, it does, like, as soon as you really have to change everything in your life to bring in, like, a child, you, you're you like, oh, sorry, Mom, sorry, Dad, you probably had all kinds of other ideas. And, like, and there's not an option, you know, but like you said, too, when I was at that age, I was not in all ready. So I had kids pretty later in life when I was like, I can dedicate to this now, whereas, yeah, oof. My, uh, <laughs> if I would have been like that age then, it would have been just not good for anyone. But also, I, I, I was ready to stop touring when I had kids because I had also done it, you know, for decades. I had a blast. Things were starting to really just kind of ramp down where, like, if you're going to do it on that level, you're going to, it's going to be not only just a full-time job, it's going to be a full-time job where you're just kind of making it happen. So to, you know, leave the kids behind, and not have something where it's like, all right, this is our best option. It was, you know, it kind of becomes too selfish. And I was missing so much because my daughter was born and I still had a, a couple of years of touring and I watched her crawl for the first time on Skype and like, you know, in middle of in Bulgaria of all places, you know, and you're just like, oh man, this is tough. And then as soon as we were having a second kid, I was like, all right, I can't, I just can't be gone this much. So, it, you know, it, it also helped that I was mentally ready to get off the road. Uh, that would be really hard if the road was still had its claws in you. Uh, and yeah. You don't want to, it's anything to be resentful, you know? So for me, I was lucky that it worked out kind of evolution-wise in my own life where I was ready to, I was tired. I was ready to, <laughs> I was ready to come home for a while. And uh, although then you'd realize the real true sleeplessness of having newborns. Um, I will tell you, being in a touring metal band will prepare you for newborns because most nights I had to deal with someone screaming and waking me up at 2, 3 in the morning and possibly vomiting or pissing all over themselves, they were just normally a six-foot dude with long hair instead of, like, a little baby. So I at least was ready to handle some of these scenarios. So, yeah. <laughs> and your food being eaten, too? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, something else I, I kind of wanted to hit on, too, you know, talking about winding down from the road. And, and again, kind of you had to sort of do this twice, although I don't feel like the weight of it maybe would have hit you as much after overcast as maybe it did when shadow Spall was kind of ramping down, but just this kind of figuring out who you are when you're not who everyone thinks you are, if that makes sense, you know, everyone like there's this, cause I feel like there's this thing like I, you know, I'm kind of now known between doing shows, doing this, like there's this perception that I'm this, even though I'm so much more, I'm a person beyond what this is. But I, I would imagine it's the same thing and, and exponentially more being in a touring band that people have this identity of you through that when you're not that for someone, that it almost becomes this thing of like, well, who are you? Who are you to me and who are you to yourself even? Did you kind of go through that at all through you know both bands kind of the end of either one? 100 percent uh because you got to remember like overcast it was probably less be lessened by the fact that i did join shadows fall not too far afterwards but before that i'd been in that band i was you know man you know in my early 20s and i'd been in that band since i was 15 years old so it had literally been a third plus of my life at that point where i was brian from overcast you know like and you literally have like that name you know <laughs> so when it stopped, I didn't, I, I didn't really know. I'm like, you know, I luckily was, you know, still 
pretty young and, and, and didn't have a whole lot of responsibility. So I was able to, and luck, I was super fortunate to have these guys interested in me, you know, joining Shadows Fall. So, but then Shadows Fall, it was taken to a whole other level where you're like, this has been your livelihood and your constant uh, number one driving force in your life for, for a decade and a half plus. And also it becomes, since it's a self-expression, it becomes, you know, part of your overall being. And so when that starts to diminish in a, you know, somewhat, you know, business or commercial sense, you kind of take an ego hit regardless of how, you know, solid you are with yourself or whatever. There's no way to not be like, oh, man, what, you don't like me no more? Like, you know, (laughs) so as it starts to go down, there's no way to not notice that shift of like, oh, you know, you know when you're here and you've seen a million bands going this way on the other way. So you start to, you know, kind of see it. And we also, we, we didn't want to necessarily uh, continue on just to do it either. You know, like it, we could have kept touring at a certain level when we stopped. We just didn't want to get to a point where we're like, all right, now we're just doing this to, to try and make some money and get through it and whatever. Like we were pretty torched. And it was also the first time once Paul had a kid that we'd ever had a lineup change since, you know, the early 2000s, you know, with, when we had a drummer switch. So that we started to be like, all right, we've seen enough metal bands have like nine other dudes in the band <laughs> in a short period of time, you know, and we were a band, you know, we were like five dudes. Uh, but for me, the biggest adjustment I had to accept was you'd been living a pirate life for like, for me, it'd been 20 years because overcast, if I worked a job, it was a shitty part-time job when I got home from doing shows that I could care less about, you know, like <laughs> I still was living like a pirate even when we weren't on the road. So the idea of that can, can be like, well, what do I do then? And also you go to put together a resume and you're like, hmm, hmm, pretty big uh, gap between my last official job during the Shadows Fall years that wasn't just me yelling at someone. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so the work history looks a little funny, even if you've been nominated for two Grammys, you know. So I was really fortunate that uh, family brought me home first. I'd been smart with my money where I had a bubble too, where I didn't have to like dive into like, all right, I need to work tomorrow if we don't play. I'd been squirreling away stuff and living like, I kind of lived like we were the, when we started as a band till the end where I like, I I just put, never assumed we had any any money coming in. And uh, when I was on the road, I lived off, I lived off of road stuff. I didn't spend money. I just lived off of like rider and per diem and whatever. So I at least had a, (laughs) buffer zone which gave me some time to like kick it with the you know the little the little kiddos and not and be able to find a job that made sense um granted you can rip through a bubble real fast if you want to um, <laughs> um, especially so with kids I got fortunate that a, a, yeah exactly the kids changed it all where i was like all right i've been budgeting like i was you know but i also was willing to live like like an animal you know and i'm like all right i can't have the kids living off of like two dollars a day ramen you know so, all right that's your per so, uh, But then I was fortunate. Got, yeah. A guy, a guy I was skateboarding with out in St. Louis who I met, uh, he worked at a, a company, uh, St. Louis Music, that owns like a guitar company, a drum company, a bunch of different stuff. And once, you know, a spot opened up, I at least kind of had an inside track. So I was able to kind of adjust in a slower, but also like, all right, cool. I found something that, I, you know, makes sense and is, is something I'm down to do. And then was able to kind of transition into the next stage. So, you know, but it was as far as yeah, the mental adjustment was huge. You're used to just 
I mean, every it was just an itinerary where you're in a new place every day and just, you know, going crazy to just being like, oh, I guess I'm here still, you know. <laughs> so, and also, I will say, the, 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 the physical side of not being able to yell at people every day and get all that out, I was the quietest, mellowest dude during the day because I was like, man, I get to yell at people for an hour every night, you know, and physically get that out. Also, didn't need to exercise because I'm running around like a maniac. And then all of a sudden, that stuff stops and you're like, I'm an angry couch potato. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, I, I, again, I, I think that's kind of one of the things, you know, the scene kind of is, is therapy, not only for the people performing, but it's also that for, for those of us who kind of find these bands and the outlets that it provides us. And, you know, I, for me during the pandemic, at least I was very thankful. I had built this years before because this, you know, the opportunities to get people was even more because people were just like, I have nothing to do. Let's let's I'll do any interview. I don't give a fuck. Like, let's do something. <laughs> and so when most people were kind of stuck with themselves and weren't able to communicate with anyone because they weren't able to go to the bar or go to shows or anything like that, I at least had this to fall back on and still get some of that the the excitement of talking to people that are new and you know just kind of talking through random shit so it's like i was appreciative at the time that i had started this and it was like but i could see how other people didn't have that but the adverse i could see totally too where you're like man i i i guess i didn't realize that all these outlets i had to to vent basically or an excuse like you know go hard for 45 minutes to an hour plus at a show was my exercise. It was my therapy. It was all these things for me. And now I don't have those outlets. So now what? 100%. And that honestly, the beginning of the pandemic, the ones uh, people I felt the, the, ba the worst for and, and, and worried about was the, the lifers who were like, they've not known anything besides this for so long that it's not like, Oh, I'll just come home and I'll figure out something for the while. It's like, man, no, that it is a huge adjustment. And, you know, that it's just not just financially or, or employment wise, just that's been your, your routine, your everything, you know, it's crazy to, to, to make that adjustment. And, uh, you know, I luckily, you know, I I'd already kind of been in my groove and for the beginning, it was weird too, for me, the same kind of thing where the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, man, I got so much family time and I was doing so much stuff around the house. I was actually getting more creative where I'm in my home studio messing around, you know, I was like, I was like, you know, being trapped in my home, I was like looking for that for after being literally on the move physically for, for so long. Um, but the people who weren't ready to make that change, that's a tough, that's a tough ask, like on a dime, you know, and it, yeah. was, it was on a dime. I saw those first start shows start to get canceled and I was like, man, this is going to be like just a, an absolute faucet turning off soon. And it was, it was just like, that's it. It's crazy. Well, I can speak to this because, like, you at least know these people, but, you know, and I've said it on the podcast, but it was just so interesting to see how fast it happened. So, literally, I was interviewing the Kill Switch ABR, like the Torch Shore, was here in Grand Rapids. Uh, it was the second day of the tour. I interviewed uh, JB from August Burns Red, and we were kind of joking about potentially the over the over caution about, you know, COVID and all this kind of shit. And then an hour later, I'm talking to Justin from, from Killswitch, and the tone had changed drastically in that hour. You know, at that point, I'm sitting with, I think, uh, the TM, you know, and I know Josh, uh, you know, Milik, um, 
And so it was one of those things like, you know, Justin and I were talking toward the end of the chat and he's like, yeah, Seattle's cancel or it's at least going to at least a half cap room. If it's not going to be canceled, it looks like the West coast is shutting down. Presumably we'll find out more. And I remember during the actual show, you know, I'm hanging out in Josh's world. Cause I, you know, again, I love being in that space and, you know, again, having so many friends in the touring industry and all facets of it, that's my only time to really hang out with them. So it's like Josh and I are shooting the shit about wrestling and bullshitting about whatever. And toward the end, I remember, you know, saying my goodbyes to him saying, you know, goodbye to some of the dudes and light the torch and so forth. And they were supposed to play Detroit like a week later. And I was like, I don't know if I'll see you guys next week. I, we'll see what happens. And then literally the next fucking day, the everything shut down. So it's like to have literally been kind of behind the scenes and in a matter of an hour, just seeing how different the vibe behind the scenes was about what's happening to then literally the end of the night, all of us kind of going like, I don't know if I'll see you next week, I guess. And kind of really getting the last goodbyes out. You know, it's one of those, like, I remember my wife's like, can we leave? Can we leave? Can we leave? And I'm like, no, I'm going to say my goodbyes. I want to say my goodbyes. And I'm like, so glad I did. Cause yeah. it's like, I haven't seen any of them now in like two fucking years. So it's crazy to see how fast it really happened. Um, and literally we got one of the last shows. Yeah. And you, you, I knew once I started seeing stuff that's like big money making stuff getting canceled, I'm like the last thing they want to do is cancel. There's no way like, you know, that, that is, so once that started happening, you're like, Oh, it's done. So, but yeah, I, I was, Nothing like that's ever come along. So everyone had to roll with the punches at that point. No, I, I mean, I kind of indirectly think you guys specifically probably would have had one of the last, there's no, no pleasant way of really saying it, but like one of the last like disasters that can possibly happen on a tour that would shut it down like that in, you know, your damage plan tour you guys did. Like you guys, that's really the only thing I can kind of think of outside of like, a festival stage collapsing or something or something like that happening. That's really the only thing I can think of that really has affected touring as much as COVID has. Like, you know, everything changed from that moment forward. Your tour basically stopped and then security. Yeah. That changed security at every venue and every, the approach to it and, and every tour manager's worries changed. Like it, it shifted. It was a huge shift, not only just musically what we lost and, and just as a friendship, what I lost, uh, but it, it, it had a seismic shift and everyone went from being like, dude, I, I grew up at hardcore shows, man, you're pulling kids on stage, to stage dive, you're, you're handing the mic. And then it just, man, all of a sudden in the back of your head, you're just like, that's not, that's possible. Like that was never even a, a flicker of a worry or a thought. And just, man, oh, what a brutal, brutal way to to have that happen. And, you know, just doesn't get any worse than that. Yeah. It's, it's weird when things like this happen and you have enough, memory or history of things that you can kind of be like when is the last time something like this happened and that was as i thought about it because i had nothing else to do that was really the the last thing i can think of that drastically affected entertainment and live performance uh live music in that capacity was, was that um so really you're you're kind of one of the few that can kind of go like i kind of can understand how something seemingly insignificant can drastically impact everything and, and in a blink of an eye um kind of getting off that topic because that's not a fun topic to talk about at all um and kind of wrapping up too is i don't want to keep you too much longer but you know this beer uh you guys did a uh destroyer of senses i believe it's a new england style ipa it would make sense for it to be a new england style anyway 
correct? Yes, indeed. So, yes, New England style pale, pale ale, actually. Pale ale, uh, okay. And, and honestly, to transition from any story about dime into beer is, you know, a very natural progression anyway. So he'd be, he'd be proud <laughs> and raise one with us. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, we, we teamed up, uh, um, Tony from uh, Within the Ruins, the band that they're also playing the show, he has a brewery called Tin Bridge Brewing. And uh, we've always wanted uh, a Shadows Fall beer through the years. Our old manager, that was his, like, one of his only goals. And how it never happened is crazy. Although I guess it wasn't as, you know, there wasn't as many kind of local sort of craft beers that could kind of do that. And, the you know, doing the canning and the logo, that seems like such a more kind of easy thing to pull off these days. Um, but so I'm glad it finally happened. Uh, and they're great people to work with. Like, we were just out there on Monday for the release. And he's got not only a great little brew pub with food trucks and just a cool spot, there's a recording studio in the back, and he's got all the stuff set up. We're like, man, this is, if we're going to do a, a beer with anyone, another fellow Western mass hole like us who's in a metal band, we're like, I mean, it doesn't get any more perfect. So we were super psyched. Uh, we ripped through the keg at, at, of the first <laughs> night there. And, uh, and, but we'll be selling uh, four packs, and I think they'll have it on tap at the show as well. Uh, it, it's it is a very drinkable uh, beer as well because honestly, I love I love a good craft beer. I love all kinds of beer. Uh, Matt and John, if they can't see through it, and it was you know if it's not an American pilsner of just doom in a can, they don't want nothing to do with it. So to get them, they to, for them to find a middle ground between what I wanted and what they wanted, we came up with a perfect compromise where there's a ton of flavor, a little bit on the citrusy range occasionally, uh, but it's it's very drinkable and. Uh, and it, it came up. It came up perfect. So I was very stoked. The cans look amazing too, man. They do. The cans uh, look really awesome. Very, very psyched on that one. So yeah, and uh, there'll be many of those raised, I believe, on uh, on Saturday. So yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because uh, it might be a mutual friend of ours. You may know him through proximity, at least. But Tyler Strotzel, uh used to work at Tin Bridge, yep. uh, Joel's oh, yeah. brother. And so for a while, like I, he was always because uh, he's a friend of mine, uh, Tyler. And so we were constantly drinking different stuff and you know since i live here in gr founders and all the other breweries are out by me you know and he started working at timbridge and i'm like man these beers sound fucking good send me some and he's always like well it's not going to be good if you mail it it won't be any good it won't be any good and i'm like motherfucker like i've had beers sent to me from pretty much all over the world i shouldn't say this on record but i will but i was going to do a run the jewels documentary uh last year when they did the run the jewels beer world tour where they did 12 breweries across across the world and i think i collected about eight of them and then i was going to do a documentary with the breweries where i go how did you get involved uh how did you pick the base recipe and add, a, add to it and then that was going to be the thing build upon it and then hopefully maybe run the jewels will get interested and then kind of the same question but just in reverse how did you pick the breweries how did you pick your base um and then just tell the story, you know, about uniting the craft beer scene, the music scene, all these different communities together during a pandemic. And long and short of it didn't pan out, but I got to talk to one of the breweries from over in uh, Van District Brewing in overseas, over in like Europe or whatever. And they were like, what'd you think of ours? And I was like, haven't had it. Yours is one of the ones I couldn't get. And then so they sent me a full case <laughs> of it. And I still have I still have some of it and all the rest of it I haven't drank yet, but you know, and as I'm drinking a, a Deftones beer too that I just got, um, you know, it is kind of interesting to see this space now opening up for bands where you're kind of, you know, working with, you know, other people who love music and love, you know, metal and so forth and trying to find a way of, you know, destroy our senses. Like to me, it's like, okay, what would, what would your music 
taste like if you could make a beer based on one of your songs or a lyric and it's like i feel like that would just be so fun to be like i don't know man let's get fucking wild with it what 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 would one of my lyrics yeah. taste like if i could oh, absolutely, man. well the whole process is cool and it makes sense too because these are all kind of diy you know uh businesses and bands who kind of came up that way you know it's it, it's such a cool collaboration to like because you have a similar vibe and then you know if they're into that music they can kind of just have a way to cross over and you've got to be creative on both of those industries now whether it's music or you know there's so many breweries now how do you stand out how do you find ways to kind of take things to another level and like you said kind of cross between the two two scenes and two communities and metal and beer go hand in hand pretty well music in general and and having a few drinks is, <laughs> is a big part of it that's why most music is played at a bar you know like so, uh, it doesn't make sense so it's, it's cool to see that kind of like you know little cottage industry of like band beers becoming more serious uh, as well as the whiskeys too because there's been such a like uptick in local uh distilleries that uh that's another cool way for them to to kind of cross over and find some ways to cross promote you know like bring some attention to a smaller distillery or brewery that the band can reach out to but then also some of the people who are just more into the the, the beer or whiskey side of things can find out maybe about a band they may not listen to if, if it wasn't for this beer so it's kind of a cool way you know to kind of help each other out aside you know i'm not gonna ask the obvious like oh well after this show goes because you've already addressed it several times that you don't know what the future holds for the band but with how well this beer has gone over do you see more want maybe to keep making a seasonal shadows fall beer with tinbridge or somebody else would that be something you'd be interested in? That would be killer. Yeah, I would, I would be super interested in that. Yeah, because it was for me, it was such a cool process to be part of. I was very happy with the the final result as well, and uh, it would be cool. Yeah, and I would like to do it that kind of way. Like you know, each you know, who knows what we're gonna do, but if you know, start doing a that would motivate us to do like a holiday show every year, like, <laughs> sort of seasonal, like you know, like although it, I the one thing I, we, we might have to like do the the real destroyer of senses, like 10%, you know, like, like, like holiday beer, you know, down the road, you know, do the double. Oh, so we'll see, you know, <laughs> see, so the doors are open still. So, you know. I was going to say, that would be definitely a, like a bourbon barrel aged one where you're coming in at like a 12% or something. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, is there anything, this won't come out in time for the show, but is there anything you would like to promote uh, for online? Any bands or anything? Uh, you know, yeah, not a whole lot to promote these days. I'm still playing with uh, my band Hell Knight, which you can find on Instagram and Twitter and everything like that. It's Hell Knight Band. Uh, as far as Shadows Fall, we just we, we couldn't be more thankful for the overwhelming kind of positive response to the reunion and all the people who helped out to make it a success. I, it, I have no idea where it'll lead from here, but it's been such an incredible experience so far that we're just super thankful and it just helps put everything in kind of perspective and uh and it's it's been a blast so then down the road we shall see but all of us will be making more music so you'll be hearing from all of us whether you want to or not so <laughs> <laughs> well thank you very much again for taking the time indeed man thanks for spreading the word brother we appreciate it so that was my conversation with brian fair again of shadows fall which at this point they've already played the reunion show and by all accounts it just looked massive and, and awesome. Um, I 
the Palladium is one of those places I've always wanted to go see a show. Having spent so much time watching all these DVDs of my favorite bands and, and a lot of them being from the, the Massachusetts area or very close, you know, these Palladium shows are just look incredible. It looks like an incredible venue uh, with such a storied history, you know, between the New England Metal and Hardcore Festivals for, you know, all the years that that went on. Uh, the Acacia Strain DVD uh, shot in the downstairs of the Palladium. And then you have the Set This World Ablaze DVD by Killswitch Engage shot, you know, upstairs uh, at the Palladium there. And it's just one of those where you just see so much, um, so much history and legacy at this in this building and, and legendary performances. Uh, it's always been a place I've wanted to go to, and to see Shadows Fall come back, you know, <clears throat> as Brian kind of said, as some headlines have been picked up since, uh, and some of the press Brian's been doing. Never say never. You don't know what the band's going to do. It probably will not be ever at the capacity that it was, but the fact that it can exist in some capacity now, I think, is really. Uh, awesome and gives me hope that maybe maybe uh some some light touring will happen and be able to see those guys uh, again and as you just heard i uh was not able to get one of those goddamn beers i tried so hard i even knew a friend of mine works for tin bridge uh i would i was trying my damnedest to get one because you know i love trying different drinks i love trying different band beers i love seeing you know the story behind how do you put a beer and a and and flavors with a band and what it makes you think of or a song or whatever um i'm actually probably going to have uh the owner of tin bridge uh, on here pretty soon uh not i wanted to do a one-two combo but that just didn't work out with the holidays and all that but what you actually heard me open up because like i said i like to try new things uh someone at a bar i go to uh knows that i'm adventurous when it comes to drinking and asked me if i'd had these things called press p-r-e-s-s uh apparently it's the new seltzers um i knew nothing about them they have three different flavors and the one that i grabbed just randomly is a grapefruit cart cardam cardam c-a-r-d-a-m-o-m i don't even know what that is and you know what that's okay uh, i'm gonna take a taste real quick wow it smells really smells really good wow that is, wow, that's actually really good. What's crazy about that is, is almost like, unlike the, some seltzers, which are way too carbonated, this is like really chill on the carbonation, which I kind of like, even though you just possibly heard me burp. Um, that's actually really good. I don't even see where it says who makes them. XYZ out of Milwaukee. So I guess if you see these, try one. They're actually pretty good. And they come in at a whopping 4% as well, so... Definitely a really easy drink to uh, <clears throat> to go down on a social drinking. Uh, but beyond that, I've just been drinking a lot of water lately because uh, I've been shoveling my fucking snow because it has been snowing nonstop the last 24 hours and my snow blower broke out. So I've been drinking a lot of water, water to stay hydrated while I'm shoveling like a peasant. <laughs> All of that said, um, I do want to thank Brian real quickly kind of to, to wrap things up. Um, toward the end there, you know, I, I had this weird epiphany talking to Brian about, you know, just the, how, how things have changed, uh, you know, him coming back from, from not playing in a while to now kind of having these, these COVID rules in place. And it just, it struck me so quickly and it was such an out of left field thought. But when I had it, I was like, man, I, I kind of realized like he was in such a first person perspective of going through something that literally changed the the music scene and the music industry, live music industry overnight, you know, being on that damage plan tour and, you know, what happened to Dime. And it kind of felt, 
I didn't know how to ask it, but I, I it was I don't know. It was one of those that like when I came over, I was like, that's that's such an interesting thought I'd never thought of. And I didn't know if maybe he had kind of where it's just like, you know, he has lived in a time where you know, he was directly a part of something that drastically changed everything to, you know, now he's coming back to playing and another new set of circumstances that has possibly will alter the live music uh, industry forevermore. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if meet and greets will ever exist the way they, they used to. Um, I don't know if bands and so forth will take more care about the, the people coming backstage and, and, and so on and so forth. So I don't know. Like it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's an interesting thought to think of. Um, so for those that maybe listened to that, uh, I didn't necessarily, I didn't mean any uh, disrespect with that question. It just was, one that came to me and, and was really kind of interesting and profound uh, that I, I, I'd never heard him answer. Uh, not not to that capacity. I mean, I, I know he's been asked about uh, the legacy of Diamond, all that kind of stuff, but n- not, you know, from what is it, you know, how did it feel? And, you know, you're a part of this event that literally changed everything. Um, so I want to thank Brian for for answering that question so, so honestly and, and uh, meant a lot. Um, he didn't have to. Um, so... Thank you, Brian. And uh, if you would like to keep up with Brian, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Shad Fall. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with the Shadows Fall guys, you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Shadows Fall Band, or you can go on Facebook and find them at Shadows Fall. Um, hopefully, they're going to be a little more active. Like I said, we're not entirely sure, so just keep up with them and, and see what happens. <clears throat> Speaking of keeping up with everything, if you would like to keep up with their sponsors, it's simple enough. You can go to rockabilia.com, use our code BRUTALLY, and get 10% off your total order. Head on over to the Bean Bastard. You can go to thebeanbastard.com, pick up some delicious coffee. They have my favorite blend right now. The shooter's full. I am literally going to get off of this. I'm going to order a couple of bags because I need to not have it run out uh, like last time, and I didn't get any. Uh, and last but not least, On Point Palmade. Uh, keep your beard and hair looking on point. Use our code BSP15 and get 15% off your total purchase order. And if you'd like to keep up with the podcast, it's simple enough. You can find us on brewspeakpod.com. This is a landing page for everything. And as I said in the intro, rate, review, subscribe, however you want to do it. Uh, reach out to us. You can even email me, brutally speaking, at Gmail. Uh, simple enough. You want to send me a suggestion, tell me I suck, whatever. Um, totally fine. I am open to any and all forms of email, criticism, whatever. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to uh, end this episode and I will return next week where our guest is, well, I haven't done the episode just yet. I'm doing it tomorrow as I'm recording this. So you're just going to have to stick around and find out who the episode's guest is next week. And I'll talk to you then. Oh, that fucking sucked. Shao Kahn, what'd you think? That was pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Coach, what'd you think? Okay. I mean, I knew it was going to fucking suck, but I think those guys were a little rude. Austin Powers? How about new? Okay. I thought we were going to get the Austin Powers vote. We did not. John, use that for your podcast. It fucking sucks. But uh, you knew what you were getting into. Uh, It will result in less listens. You're going to see a decline in listeners if you start the show with that. You're going to see 30 seconds in, the number will plummet. And I will be there at the bottom of the plummet saying, I fucking told you, don't use this fucking riff. It sucks.